Emma, Emma free. Is there opportunity? Broken records of the past. Does anything really last? And welcome to another episode of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. This is season two, episode one. This is like the sequel that no one asked for uh, and uh, no one knew they needed. It's, but you're damn well getting it anyway. That's right. Just yeah. like, like Star Wars. We're kind of, we don't have anything better to do. Uh, welcome. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. It's been, uh, Jim. The last time, the last time we put out a show, it uh, it was June. That was my interview with Dan Oakman. The last time we did a show together was like May, something like that. So Jacob Degrom was still pitching. Jacob Degrom wow. was still pitching. Oh, that was a great season oh, that was happening back man. then. I was excited. Oh, we man. see. Can what, we go back. What people don't know is we foresaw what was coming. And we were like, nah, guys, we're, we're going to sell high here, but we're going to come back just in time to bring back our friend, Max Greenfield. Max, yeah. how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, dude, for, for the triumphant, re- triumphant, or maybe not so triumphant <laughs> return. And um, <laughs> we love having you here, Max. You got to come yeah. by a lot more often. You know, what's funny is last time, last time I was here, we've had so much change. You know, Adam, the Braves won the World Series, as we'll get into in a bit, which congratulations. And I'm not a writer anymore. I'm a, I'm a pitching coach now. Yeah. I mean, wow. No, I, know. I know. It's wild. Huge yeah. congratulations to you. Yeah. It's, nice. it's, where, where are you? you? Just for yeah. the for viewers who may not know. Like, where, yeah, feed us. What do you got? I, I am uh, currently a pitching coach at Santa Barbara City College, and I, I don't think you guys have ever been to Santa Barbara, but if you have, and everybody who's listening can tell you, it's beautiful here. It's so nice. And our campus at the City College is right off the beach, so you get those beach views right from parts of campus and it is just yeah it's just gorgeous it's I, such a nice i have view. friends for out that uh, lived out in santa barbara and it is beautiful it is oh, fantastic. It's so it's so nice out here and Same. then our our team is we just ended fall so you know there's a lot of evaluation going on about what we think we can do but we're we're feeling pretty good i, I feel pretty good about our pitching staff and nice. you know implemented a whole bunch of new stuff for them stuff they've never seen before and you know stuff we think can be lead to a lot of success for them and you know hopefully it's 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 you're around baseball players all the time which is just so much fun so it's gonna be a busy off season for y'all uh yeah you know our off season technically start started now you know we're uh i'm having for me and the other pitching coach are currently debating on you know what type of off season pitching programs we want to put them through and everything like that and those are interesting conversations because those are also like tough conversations to have about the roster and everything like that um but it's also, you know, it's fun. Like it's fun at the same time of like trying to plan out what we want guys to do. Do we want them to throw harder? How do we want them to pitch and all that sort of stuff? What's their role going to be? You know, it's, it's, it's weird because, you know, I don't know how many people follow college baseball, but the last two years have sort of just sort of been lost for a lot of college baseball players because COVID wiped away uh, a season base like three quarters of a season. And then for some schools like ours that wiped away a full season last year. Right. So we have a lot of guys who have never played a single college game, but are in their third year of college. And it's like, we have to sort of plan around of like, you'd think that equals experience, but it doesn't. It's sort of like having been, you know, you have these like really great 28 year old outfield 
outfielder coming up and you're like, they're really good, but they're 28 years old. It's, right. it's sort of like that. <laughs> That's how it feels. Well, at least everybody's got a tan from being out on the beach. So. Yes. Dude, it's it's, it's a great my place. farmer's tan's real bad right now. I gotta <laughs> I gotta I gotta fix it. Nice. Well, you're not gonna get any help from us tonight. Um, no, so not tonight. The, the, I haven't seen the sun in like a month up here in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest. Ain't no no farmer tan available here. So, yeah. but no, congratulations again. Well done, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank it's you. An honor well deserved, and I look forward to see where you go. Thank you. Yeah, so we're um, we're going to uh, one thing. A lot has changed in the past year, and and we want to look back on that. Now, I'm going to save my thing for later, okay? Because anyone, you know, if I start, everybody's just going to hit that 15 button on the right of the play and just skip to everyone else's insight. So I want to start with you, Max. Like, if you were to, like, sort of take one thing away from the 2021 MLB season, what what is that thing? What What are you walking away with? I mean, I think the answer, while it's obvious, has to be Shohei Otani, right? We saw the greatest, arguably the most impressive season we've ever seen in baseball history. I mean, he threw 130 innings, hit 150-something strikeouts, like a three ERA, and he had a 150 way to run the creative plus at the plate. Like, I mean, just absurd. You know, it was such a weird year in terms of, because no, no Trout, right? You know, we always expect great seasons from Trout, and he had this calf injury, and it really sucks that we got a year that we just didn't have any Mike Trout. Um And so Shohei kind of took over as like this force in baseball that you just had to watch despite, again, unfortunately, the team just not being very good, right? Um, And they had a plethora of injuries. And again, just a whole bunch of stuff went wrong for them off the field as well. But he was just so good that it didn't, you, you didn't care. You just were so happy to see this guy do something we had never seen before, right? You know, hit. 40 home runs, have a three ERA over 130 innings, steal 20 something bases, right? He did literally everything on a baseball field except for play in the outfield. And even then he did that a few times. He still (laughs) played like seven, eight innings in the outfield this year, which is honestly incredible. Just he really like the whole season could be summarized of just Shohei Otani. Let the league in triples, let major league baseball in triples. Exactly. Dude was incredible this year. Just incredible. It was, yeah, it was one of the most disgusting seasons we'll probably ever get to see. And the best part about it, he's like 27 next year. Yeah. So well, he, he, could do it again. he could do it again. Bring it. I'm ready. Give I think, me some more. I think that's what I found most exciting about is that nothing about this in his skill set seems like an outlier. Like this seems no, this, this seems, is just who he is. Right. This seems like a, a repeatable a projectable type of stat line. And it's the type of thing, again, that is so unicorn-like. And it's the stuff that we've always wanted to happen, but we never, it just never entered our radar in that way. And so it because it seems so projectable, because it seems so predictable, it's like, hey, barring injury, we could be really be looking at somebody that like does leapfrogs over other you know uh, players as his career progresses, and we're sitting there at, and talking about a thirty-four year old, a thirty-three year old, with uh, enough wins above replacement, enough black ink, enough any kind of ink. I mean, they're gonna have to create a new color ink. Um, <laughs> 
And so it's just, it's possible. And to, to know that that's on the radar to me and see it in real time is pretty vindicating. Yeah. On, on a team, on a team with the best player in the world, <laughs> besides Shohei Otani, right? Nuts. I mean, it's just they have, silly. They have the two best players in the world, and you know, a lot of people do. Uh, LOL, Andrews are so dysfunctional. And listen, sure, they've made a lot of bad decisions in like Shohei Otani's and Mike Trout's careers, but also at the same time, like they drafted only pitchers last year, right? They are clearly, you know, they signed Noah Syndergaard already. They're clearly trying to change, right? They recognize that they have two hall, surefire Hall of Fame talents, right? And then Anthony Rendon on top of that. Yep. And they're sort of saying, we need to try and win. Like, it's it's now or never. Like, we really just got to try and do something. We have two just incredible talents. And I'm yep. glad that, you know, at one point in time, I thought there was legitimately people saying, you know, Vladimir Guerrero should win the MVP. And I was like, what? Like, Shohei won the award in June, <laughs> right? Like, it was yeah. over before we even got to the All-Star break, right? Yeah. And I, I get that that can be a little boring for some people. But at the same time, it's just like, what a season that you win the MVP award in June, yeah. right? Like, it's just, yeah, it's over. It's locked up. It's yep. done. No and need then, to have a conversation. And then just went and had a second half that was similar to the first half that pretty much sealed it up for him already. Yeah. Right. I he mean, just went out, did it again for another three months. Like he went through a little slump at the beautiful. plate, but then he just said, oh, I'll just pitch better. And it was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> my, my bad. Like most guys, when they go through a slump at the plate, is like, okay, I'll step up the defense and the base running show. He's like, Oh no, no. Let me just go do the other most valuable thing in right. baseball. Yeah. yeah. Let me just be the number one pitcher here too. Yeah. yeah bonkers. What a, yeah. Yeah. Big takeaway from the season. Yeah. Easily. Jim, what, what was, what was your big takeaway? Uh, mine doesn't revolve around a player. My big takeaway from the season ends up being, Oh, uh, what needs to change in the future for me? Uh, we gotta get, we gotta get the divisions under control. We cannot have divisional baseball with six divisions if the divisions are going to break up the way they're breaking up. You can't have four of the best five teams in the American League all stacked into one division so that the AL Central can put together a White Sox team that, you know, cruise to the cruise to the postseason and, and in essence really probably didn't belong there with the manager that they got, Tony Perusa, you know, grandpa. And uh and the team just wasn't ready to play, right? At that type of level, it just they uh, frankly weren't that good. Like, no, yeah. they just no, weren't. no disrespect to the White Sox fans who are listening or anything back, but like they just they just weren't like they're not they, there yet. They look right. good on paper, and then that just some stuff just didn't go their way, and they kind of cruised in the second half against teams that weren't really all that good. Like they played, you know, the Royals a lot at the end, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and Cleveland a lot at the end, and when they did play a good team, they would get smoked, and like when it came to the postseason. People are like, yeah, but the White Sox pitching set. And I was like, it doesn't matter, though. Yeah. Like, they haven't played anybody really good in a while. Yeah. And every time they did play the good, they got smoked. And it was it hides a lot. It hides a lot of Dallas Keuchel when you're going against the Royals oh, and Tigers. Dude, yes. Dallas Keuchel was so yeah. bad for the not, not good, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, and they couldn't get ready for the postseason when you're playing weak teams and you don't really have any reason to try to build better to win. You, you're already just winning games, right? It's just, yeah. uh, so uneven, uneven schedules, 
is something that's got to be dealt with. It just can't be this way. I mean, I know the Yankees get to play the Orioles 19 times a year, but sort of the Blue Jays and the Rays and the Red Sox and all those are winning teams. I mean, you got a 91 win team in Toronto that didn't even get to go to the place, the postseason, right? Well, we're sitting here congratulating you for an 88 win Braves team that won the World (laughs) Series, right? I mean, Uh, it, 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 it. I, not, I agree. It's not, it's not set up right. That has to be something done either. You know, I, I mean, it sounds like they're going to probably expand the postseason if they ever get this CBA done, it's probably going to be on the plate and be something that major league baseball is going to want. They want more money. They're going to get great revenue out of postseason games. They're going to want more postseason teams. It, it just has to at least get the better. You just have to get the better teams into the postseason to make for a better set, right? I don't have a problem with the Braves being there. I thought they played great in the second half. I thought they earned their way there without any issues. I just didn't think the White Sox did. And I really didn't think that the Dodgers should have been playing a one-game playoff against the Cardinals either, right? So it's just six wins. With 106 wins, right? It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. So if I'm taking one thing away from this season, it's that, right? I we just can't we just can't keep going down this road. It's just not right. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it's clearly a systematic issue, you know, and for, and the, the disparity and, you know, here's to hoping the CBA corrects a lot of that, or, yep. you know, I shouldn't say corrects a lot of that because again, it was a systemic issue is not cured by one single thing. Yep. It, let's hope the direction begins to shift uh, towards yep. something like that. Um, so, so my, uh, my, my, yeah, thing, tell my us thing, what you got. My you thing, got. I don't even have notes on this. So here, here's the thing. The Atlanta Braves win their first world series since 1995, their first world series in a full season since 1957. And they weren't even in Atlanta till 1966. So here's, here's the thing. What I take away from this is that, yes, I, Tears were in wells when, you know, when uh, Swanson throws to Freeman uh, forever burned in the brain. Um, and, but what I took away from it is that dual well, two things. There is the message that general managers and ownership send to players matters because when the Braves were struggling, when the Braves were you know, in a division that seemed, I mean, let's be honest, like every, we all figured that the Braves were going to be sellers. When Acuna goes down with the ACL, anybody in baseball can tell you, we all thought they were going to sell and we were shrugging our shoulders in Atlanta. Hey, it is what it is. Uh, You know, we'll get it next year and we'll have Soroka. And we're like, we're already thinking ahead. But the message that Alex Anthopoulos sent to the team by acquiring these players, these specific players, Jorge Soler, a guy that, by the way, uh, Jorge Soler's SOPS Plus, which is the split OPS Plus, in the first half was 68. It was 144 in the second half. Eddie Rosario's 90 in the first half, 140 in the second half. Now you have to factor in it was only 33 games, you know, due to injury. Jock Peterson's presence in the clubhouse. You know, he talks about showing up and it being kind of a drag. Him and Steven Vogt, literally, who was DFA'd, literally lift the spirits of the clubhouse. What this 
what what this message sent what you're I guess what I'm trying to say is that ownership GMs your message matters to players it matters to fan bases was anybody like doing backflips over Jorge Soler most people probably had to look up Jorge Soler's page to find out how he was doing this year because he was playing and they were shocked when they saw right like we got a guy batting 197 to come to to come to the team uh, Eddie Rosario who the fuck is Eddie Rosario <laughs> you yeah. know i the thing the thing is is that the, but the guys in the clubhouse they know Jock Peterson he looks like a pudgy baby but like at the same time the dude brings <laughs> swagger to a team, and he did. The dude did not hit particularly well outside of the NLDS, but the pearls are synonymous. We are those motherfuckers is the tagline. The, the thing is, is that if you are trying, and this is what I hope, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this. They said, are people going to use the Braves model going forward and things like that? You can't. The, there's no one in their right mind who thought Jorge Soler was going to be the World Series MVP. There's nobody in their right mind who thought Jock Peterson was going to lift them over the Brewers, a superior team, uh, you know, to the NL, NLCS. And nobody thought Eddie Rosario was going to turn into, I mean, I don't, is there, I don't even think he has a comparable at this point. <laughs> You know what I mean? Randy Arozarena. Right. He's going going to turn into Randy Arozarena in the playoffs. Like, you see what I mean? Like, there is no model here. This is a GM sending a message. We're going to try and and, uh, take the AA specials, as I call them, the low-risk one-year deals, bring them in, and it worked. It sent the message to the players. All Now you have... Guys that were already thinking ahead, playing for the immediate. So, what I just are you saying? Team chemistry is important too. Team chemistry is massively important. And the message, and you know, this is not. And what it did for me is it reminded me of of work. It reminds you of like when you work for a company because players are employees. Well, they're you know they're technically contract, but such is life. when ownership and management sends messages like, hey, times are tough, but we're going to we're going to give you the tools to succeed. I'm hoping that GMs don't look at this and, and from a pragmatic point of view and say, oh, well, they bought low and got great returns and we're going to try to do that. I hope they take away from it. They sent a message to their teams, their, to their players and to their fans. We're going to try. And, and I hope that's what they take. That's what I took away from it. And that's what I hope others take away from that. I agree. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the message and right, well done by baseball media, you know, which conversation for another time about how they cover things, <laughs> but they did a good job in saying that Atlanta went for it and they were rewarded, right? There's a, I taught, I said this and I know friends of the podcast, Jeremy Frank and Devin Pink uh, have said the same thing. It's like the biggest market inefficiency of baseball is not spending. Owners don't want to spend like they just don't want to go for it. Like that's the we could talk all about the reliever market and how bad it is. And we can look at the Craig Kimball trade and analyze that. Right. But the the truth is that the biggest inefficiencies teams just don't want to spend. And so that's why going into the postseason, I was really hoping the Dodgers would win it all because Mm. they reflected that if you go for it and you spend the dollars, they spent it in a 
obviously in a way that you know may or may not have worked out in their favor who knows <laughs> uh we're still waiting but they spent and they tried to win and they were rewarded with a trip to the nlcs right they were rewarded with a team that was very good that even though when they were completely hurt still made it to six games into the nlcs right that's how good they were because they went for it atlanta did the same thing in just a different route but they said you know we believe in this team and we think if we all we need to do is get in and we look at our rest of the division and we're not really all that impressed and really no reason to be the Mets were falling apart even at that point. Um, and the Phillies were just inconsistent, right? All year they had arguably a guy who could have won the Cy Young and then the MVP and they just couldn't do anything for all the talk about the angels. What the heck happened to the Phillies? Um, <laughs> so much yeah. to say on that. It's so <laughs> much to say, but uh, yeah. And the, Atlanta said, let's go for it. Right. It, Cause if we make it in, anything can happen, right? Baseball is completely random in the yep. postseason, right? I remember it was so funny last year, and I, I still think this reflects it too, was in the 2020 60-game season, expanded playoffs, four teams than ever, the top seeds from both leagues make it to the World Series. Yep. yep. Completely, just like everyone thought, right? <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's, But like, it's like that. It's just a random game. So if you make it, you have a chance. Yep. Yeah, you just got to get there. You just got to get there. And, and putting effort in is the first step from management's view, right? And then you leave it to the players from there. But I think the thing that gets me, like, with Atlanta going into the postseason was that it, it still felt to me, even though they had a good second half, that they still weren't ready to win in the postseason, right? I mean, this was a team that was 55 and 55, they only end up playing 11 more games the rest of the season against teams that made the postseason, right? And they go three and eight in those games. Yep. But they went 30 and 10 in the other 40 games that they played. And that was enough to get them where they needed to be in a weak division, right? They they beat Philly when they were supposed to. They beat the Nats when the Nats sold. Of course they did. They beat the Mets because the Mets are the best. And then they beat the Marlins because everybody beats the Marlins, right? It was Everything was there. Just beat the ones that you're supposed to beat get your ticket and then let's see what happens. And I mean, I think it was, uh, they lost game one, right. To Milwaukee, I believe. Yeah. Right. And and it was like, okay, that's expected. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Everything that happened after game one against Milwaukee wasn't what I expected to happen as much as I I just didn't think Atlanta had the tools in place, but they had the right atmosphere. They, they went for it. They had management's backup and then you got, yeah, you got the Jock Petersons, you got Duvall's of the world, right? Um, Gold glove winner, Adam Duvall. Right, right. Freddie Freeman, last year's MVP, hanging out there, right? I mean, they had it. They just didn't have Acuna, which was, well, I thought they needed, but I guess not, but. Yeah, no, they still they still story. needed him. Like it's oh. what's crazy is right is Acuna, who if he doesn't get hurt, probably wins MVP. By the way, like yeah. he's hundred percent certainly the favorite going forward. Um, and so when we when he gets hurt, right, you replace him with all these guys, and then the question was, oh well, I guess they didn't even need Acuna. And it's, you kind of think to yourself, what would happen if he doesn't get hurt? Right. Right. How what what changes? They probably don't trade for Solaire and Peterson and Duvall and Rosario, right? There's no reason to. They don't. Maybe they trade for one or two of those guys just because, like, you know, outfield depth is always useful. Yeah. Um, but what happens? You but know, but if you don't trade for all of them, then you're not getting a uh, your NLDS MVP, your NLCS MVP, or your World Series MVP. Exactly. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. Is like when you 
Jorge Soler is a great hitter. I'm comfortable saying that he's a good hitter. I'm fine with that. But like Eddie Rosario, not really all that good. Like, no, no. In his career, he's just not really that good of a player. Adam Duvall is just like your classic, you know, hits for a ton of power, doesn't really hit at all kind of guy, but plays shockingly good defense for some reason. Um, and then Peterson is just, is what he is at this point. He's a lefty bat that crushes righties, can't hit lefties, has a 110 weight runs greater plus and like a two F4 every year, right? Like that's yeah. just what he is. Um, and so it's just none of those guys, all, again, all those moves, you're just like, all right, fine. Ooh, go for <laughs> it, I guess, right? If, like, if, you were, if you were the Tigers, you would be, or the Royal, uh, you know, I shouldn't say the Royals. If you were the Tigers or the Orioles, you'd be like, hey, man, like we're, we're really going places. But like yeah. if, you're a, if you're supposed to be a good team, it's like, all right. I mean, this is what we're doing. Yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah. weird moves, but it worked. It worked. Yep. So, and yeah. I agree. That it, it, going for it was what mattered. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Getting the getting the approval from from management to spend a few bucks. Not the greatest amount of money, obviously. I mean, it wasn't like they went out and made blockbuster trades. I mean, it was Duvall and Peterson and gang, right? I mean, it was it wasn't a it wasn't killer. And then they didn't really play that great when they got over there. But it was enough to show that they gave a rat's butt. And next thing you know, yep, the run, the run happens in the postseason, and and they're champions. And flags, good. flags fly forever, and financial flexibility uh, did not, <laughs> does not. So uh, we're going to take John a quick... Henry doesn't have a financial flexibility flag. <laughs> oh, man, Red Sox fans are going to be pissed when they find that out. It's not a segment if we don't piss off Red Sox fans. Um, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our unit drafts. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, so back in way back in the beginning of the season that we just spent, uh, you know, a few minutes talking about, we decided it would be a great idea to do what we called a unit draft. And I, and I thought this was kind of this was one of those, you know, came to me in a fever dream type of idea. And I was like, hey, we should just draft a lineup, a rotation, a bullpen and a defensive unit. Add up all of their fan graphs metrics at the end of the year and see who won. In May, in May, it's an outstanding idea. Yeah, in yeah, May, it was a great idea. In May, it seemed like you know, hey, this was like really gonna be pretty tight. You know, it was we were gonna be competitive and all that. And then I totaled it up at the end of the year, and so, so this is this is how it worked out. Uh, Jim won by, by a lot. We took the collective wins above replacement for each unit. And the uh, Fangraphs DEF, defensive metric, for the defensive units. And I'll just summarize it really quick. With a grand total of 10.5, that was my team, I had the White Sox lineup, which uh, garnered me me 25.3 wins above replacement, good for sixth in the league. My rotation seemed like such a good idea at the time. Cleveland, uh, that, that just didn't go great. I ended up 23rd. Um, Nissan Bieber. Right. Nissan Bieber, that hurt. Freaking Biebs. 
And, uh, you know, Atlanta's bullpen, which I was like, oh, this is going to be a sneaky good pick. I think I hinged it all on signing Shane Green. Which you ended up being right anyway. I know. Which is wild. Homer pick. Yeah, total homer pick there. (laughs) Um, And uh, so that that garnered me 13th. But you see, what happened was, what happened was, I was so into Josh Donaldson and Andrelton Simmons and all these great things that were supposed to happen in, in Byron Buxton in Minnesota to play defense. Uh, that did not happen. That was that got me a negative twenty five point seven, good for twenty eighth in the league. So we're just that's all we're gonna say about my team. It was terrible. It I lost by a lot. Max, Max. A lot of things happened in Minnesota this past year. Just nothing really that positive. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Max, like you know, Yankees lineup. You know, six. That was a solid. Seemed pick. like the safest as we talked about. On the on the show, we said the safest picks were the Yankees lineup and the Dodgers rotation. Dodgers rotation lived up to that. Yankees lineup didn't. They had two guys perform Amazing. all year, and it's the two guys we you know it's the two guys that we thought were going to play like eighty or ninety games, and that would have been it. Um, so the Yankees lineup uh, got you sixteenth overall. Uh, the uh, Atlanta rotation twelfth. I mean, hey, you you pretty much nailed that. Where was yeah. gonna lie? Yeah, I thought I thought my I thought the rotation was going to be close to top ten. Is I think is what I said on the episode. So I was relatively on point there. Your your entire pick the upside. Your entire unit ended up between eleventh uh, and seventeenth. So you were pretty like in the middle. Like this pretty yeah. much panned out where you were in the middle. Uh, you finished with thirty seven point five, and that included the Padres bullpen and the o- Oakland A's defensive unit. So you were like right in the middle there, finished fine. Solid. Jimmy Passon over here. Yeah, Jim, I know that guy. Jimmy Jimmy Jam picked I don't even need to give the numbers behind. It was the Toronto Blue Jays lineup. It was the Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> rotation, the New York Yankees bullpen, and the St. Louis Cardinals defense. <laughs> All were top three, right? All, all of them. them. All of them. Second, first, third, and third for a grand total of 95.4 wins above replacement. You tripled Ma- Max and nearly exponented me. Like, <laughs> I mean, I left you guys room. I mean, there's only three of us. I picked four top three teams. You guys, there's... I was, 12, right? I mean, it's four the, for each of us. The Cardinals defense pick was a really good one. And then I just remember like San Diego's bullpen was actually like really good through the first half of the year. And like, that's where I was making up a lot of my value because they were like top five in most things right. through the first half of the year. And then of course, in typical San Diego Padre fashion, <laughs> it completely fell off the wheel in the second half. Just everything that could go wrong for them went wrong. Did go wrong for them. It wasn't Minnesota twin bad, but it was like still pretty bad to the point where they didn't even finish 500. That team after that off season didn't finish 500. Isn't that crazy to think about? That's crazy. I, I, yeah. I, I feel that's, like that's that was my second takeaway. Like, it, like had the Braves not won the World Series, that would have been what I had talked about. Because the Padres, the Padres collapse. Yeah, they collapse. I mean, it didn't collapse because of injury, right? They just no, they just play collapse. They just yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I get that the Dodgers and the Giants were in their division, but they still had the Diamondbacks and the Rockies in their division too. I mean, if those teams could find a hundred plus wins, I mean, where were the Padres at? But man, oh, it was. 
it was so weird. They did have some pitching injuries, but like Darvish was still there. Mm-hmm. Like Snell just wasn't good. Like yep. just straight up bad throughout yep. Yep. most of the year. Um, Musgrove fell off was, quick. Yeah, yeah Musgrove, Musgrove had a great first half, and he was pretty consistent in the second half. It just was like more of the old Musgrove, not the one yep. people were hoping for. Um, you know, they had Ryan Weathers making spot starts for them consistently. And, Jake know, like, Arrieta. Yeah, and yeah. once once they signed Jake Arrieta, that's when I was like, you know, wave the white flag. The season's over. The, the, I I remember what was it? He had like three straight starts where he didn't even make it into the third inning or something like that and gave up more than five runs. And I was like, why did you sign this guy? Yeah. Like, what did you what did you expect to happen? He's not a big leaguer anymore. He's just bad. <laughs> guy. Whatever. Yeah, I'm not the Padres, so what do I know? Well, you did know not to sign Jake Arrieta. I feel like everyone <laughs> should have known that, though. Like that wasn't really that complicated. Probably should have went and got Scherzer. Yeah, it's <laughs> like like all oh, the reports. <laughs> yeah, Ken, Ken Rosenthal, the Padres are trading for Scherzer, and when I saw that, I was like, I mean, it makes sense. Like they want to go for sure, it at yeah. the same time. Yep. But then I was, I remember, I I know somebody who works for uh, the Padres, and he's like. That's not true. I don't know. <laughs> but like, we definitely don't have him, and like, yeah. we think that's definitely like Boris just leaking that, just yep. to like try and get the Dodgers to offer some more. Drive that and money. Like, what, like three hours later, it was Scherzer's going to the Dodgers or something like that, right? And it was it's what a what a weird sequence that was. We don't really, we don't fo- focus on that enough, but like, that was a weird four hours there well you know what it is it doesn't it doesn't it give you like if you're a padres fan right now uh, going into the season doesn't it remind you of like matt kemp will myers craig kimbrell like <laughs> doesn't it give you like shades of that where it was like hold up we we sold the farm to get to you know this place of contention which was smart which, which yeah i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of like doing everything right but still being wrong yep. and being so glaringly wrong that now you have to go back and think well did we do everything right, right? exactly yeah. i think yeah, i think much. what's th- there are failures of like you look at teams that are failing or have failed in the past to like the rockies you look at teams um I look at the Orioles to some extent. I know they're still in the midst of that, but what a terribly timed rebuild when your division is that good. You know, you look at these and you think, oh, you can trace back like and say, you know, this was a, this was where things went wrong, but we were on the right path. The the Padres, it's it's so glaring. Like you can't like they did this already. They did yep. the whole trade for the brand name players. They did this all. And I'm telling you, if I'm a Padres fan, I feel worse. The Rockies and the Mets, there's like a comical element to the, although the Mets are really, like the, there's a comical. It's getting less comical yeah, over time. There's yeah. like a comical <laughs> element to the incompetence. But there's a, there's a, there, there's a real, I, I feel like the alarm bells have got to be going off in San Diego where this is a real concern. You Next year, like everybody was like, oh, you know, this year, the next year is do or die in San Diego. It has to be. It has to be. The pivot point has to be next year. You think it's weird that AJ Preller hasn't gotten like any calls for his job? Yeah. I think that's weird. Like, like just 
you know, I, I I don't. You know what, Max? I agree with you, but you know what I think it is. I think it's you ever. You know, it's been a long time since I've been in school, but I remember there was always a kid that clearly didn't do the, didn't know how to do the work, but did a lot of it. Mm-hmm. That's how <laughs> I feel about AJ Prower, and that's what, like you 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 you. There's this that's general. Fair. There's this general like respect the hustle because he's trying. He's just bad at trying. So yeah. I, I think that's probably a little bit of why we're so kind of like the baseball populace in general, maybe San Diego fans too. I can't speak for them, but like there's there's an, there's a little layer of patience that we have with Preller because I mean he out there he tries like he, he does he yeah. out there he's just trying. they do consistently go for it. It's right. just when you when you think I remember at the deadline right they were like rumoring we will attach like CJ Abrams or Mackenzie Gore to Eric Hosmer just to get rid of Eric Hosmer. When you're at that point, I think you need to start evaluating who's running the show. Right. Right? Because that's when things are probably when you're trying to sell a big contract and attach a prospect to it, something has gone wrong in your process and you need to start to evaluate. They did a lot of things right in the sense of they went for it. They made the big moves. They had, they develop all this talent just to sell it off to try and win. That was the right process, but it was the, you know, molecular granular level of it, right? That maybe that part was a little rough, not the trading for Joe Musgrove or you Darvish. Like that was fine. But like you traded for Mike Clevenger and he's thrown like 12 innings for you in two seasons and it's like that looks pretty bad especially when all the warning signs on clevenger a he just had that locker room issue where he was suspended from the team basically because he went out without a mask and stuff like that yep and then there were a lot of warning signs of like this dude might need tommy john soon his elbow is looking really bad um and you know san diego just said oh who cares we're gonna try and go for it anyway right they didn't make denial lament get the tommy john surgery which was that was such an oversight that again i get that like guys don't want to do that and it would have been his second time but you just lost a year from a guy who had been arguably a top five pitcher in 2020 like at that point just take the loss and like you have all that depth that you're trying to build instead now the rest of the rotation is in complete limbo of like is lament an option or not and it was (laughs) like we don't know it just like again on the macro level, right, it looks fine per se because they went for it and they did all they did a lot of the big stuff right. But on the micro level, it like there are certain moves you can dissect and say that was a mistake. Yeah, it just it just feels like AJ Preller to me is just the I don't know uh, the the next episode of Jerry Depoto, right? I just I but mean, like Jerry Depoto, look at what they're doing. Like Seattle, which we'll get into in a little bit, they're gonna be good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Angels look good now, right? And that's where he was before. But, I mean, yeah. rules didn't pan out for him and things like that. One that's trip more to the postseason in a while, right? It's just That might feels be more like of an Artie Moreno kind of thing. Like, yeah. Artie's just like, just go get the big name. And Jerry's like, but I don't, like, think it's a good idea to give a 30-something-year-old first baseman. Well, we'll find out. Well, hey, that, that, theory, that theory will be tested in New York when Billy Epler goes over there. That's and, true. And starts, you know, actually, well, I don't know. The, like Cohen's not going to have his fingers on the, he, instead of the cookie jar, he's got it on his tweet button. Yeah. But, what, a we, what a weird hire, by the way. Like nothing against Billy Epler. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like you had a real, and this is what I think about with the Rockies too. You had a real chance to get really creative with your pick. 
right? Really creative. You are the richest owner in sports by a lot, by the way, like a huge gap. And you could have hired this young person of color who had a great, you know, the Rays have several people of color in their front office who have a great background in thinking differently. And they just said, ah, no, like <laughs> why? Like they weren't even interviewed and it's, you're, you're going to sit here and tell me, well, what's his name? I think it's like Chris Rodriguez or something in the Rays. Like dude was a perfect candidate for the job. And he, you, again, you had an opportunity to do something different and they just didn't. And I get that like in baseball's hierarchy and stuff like that, playing it safe is generally speaking the move because it's a very risky game and you don't want to, you know, go with somebody that you don't really know or somebody that's new at the job. And again, I get it. Brody Van Wagenen was that choice and that went poorly to put it lightly. Um, So, but like at the same time, like this dude works for the Rays, you know, he's not an idiot. Like, you know, he's probably way too qualified. Look at what happened in Miami this year. Kim Ang did a fantastic job at the trade deadline. Like truly a great job. Yeah. The team wasn't any good, but everybody already knew that. Like that was, that's not on her, but like they, their farm system is great. They improved it. They had a great trade deadline because Kim Ang was qualified for the job right she knew what to do and it just in the case of the Mets and the Rockies and the Rockies are even more guilty of it I just don't get why you didn't do that so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a take here I have a take brewing in my head I'm gonna just put it out there is it possible that the Rays being a farm system for the rest of MLB for front office executives and GMs when we, in 20 years, when we peel back all the layers of, you know, what's wrong in baseball right now, the way front offices operate, the refusal to play, pay players, the sort of, um, I don't want to call it, in, I, I will not say the A word, because I believe in the A word as a tool, um, but is this what's wrong is the fact that the most cash reluctant because they're not strapped? It's a billion dollar organization. No, they don't is, want to spend. Right, by choice. They they have condition. They have produced a waterfall of talent in this game, and yet they do it on a shoestring budget. I guess what I'm saying is these guys have been trained, and I say guys, I'm sorry. But these guys have been trained on how to build teams on shoestring budgets, which to an owner means you're going to build me a competitive team for less. And now, like, they have infiltrated the all of baseball right now. Yep. If, if we, we could be looking around in 10 years, and it's pretty much like, you know, Dombrowski and Anthopolis are the only guys left. And DePoto, he'll still be around. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess what I'm saying is when we peel all the layers back, is it possible that, like, we run around and tout, like, the Rays, oh, my God, they they produce these great executives and they produce all of these GMs? I haven't won anything, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't won anything. And on top of that, are we going to look back and say, is this the thing that we're going to call patient zero? Is this the root of the cavity? Could they it are be? Simul- 
I, I think about this all the time. The Rays are simultaneously great for baseball and awful for baseball at the same time. Yeah. Right. They're great because a look at what Andrew Friedman did, right? He goes to a team and he takes the Rays model and you give it a huge budget. What happens? You create an absolute monster of a team. Yeah. Right. So clearly it's not the model, right? It's the, how big can the model go? Right. But that's the problem is that the Rays and I don't, discredit any of their front office people for thinking the way they do because they have to right right but at the same time it's like super infuriating that Stu uh stenberg or steinberg i don't remember how to say his last name just doesn't spend right and yet every time they make the playoffs every time they win the division or something we have to hear about how great the Rays front office is and listen i'm not discrediting them they are really good at their job they're better than everybody else and i respect that but it's infuriating when they play the Red Sox and you compare the Red Sox payroll to the Rays payroll and people use it as a way to pay, like praise the Rays. That's infuriating. Like that's not something worth praising. They let the best player in their franchise go because they just didn't want to pay him. They let their Cy Young award winners go because they didn't want to pay them. They're going to trade wander franco at some point who is going to be arguably the greatest player they will ever see right he is 21 years old and he's already probably a potential mvp candidate next year like he's great and you already know that he's not going to be there for more than four or five years yeah that's terrible well that's what it is it's that is a yeah. systemic problem. And and I feel like when we as we start to see the next round of GMs, the next the next guy that comes out of the Rays is going to go to another team and suddenly you're going to see that team. Friedman is more the exception than the rule when it comes exactly. to this. Wouldn't you agree Jim because all these teams can afford it. Friedman yeah. just cap- Friedman just had the ability to do it. Yeah, he's got the ability to do it. He's got the cash, right? So he's able to rely on on analytics more and be able to spend the cash with it. Right. But at the same time, also the one thing that the Dodgers are doing that even the Rays have done a little bit, right. That, uh, that doesn't get reflected in the overall payroll is that they've invested into, to manage or into uh, coaching, right. Into training, right. They've uh, instead of going with one hitting instructor, you go with multiple hitting instructors, you the know, if you're, model. Yeah, if you're going to save a few million bucks because you're done with the, you know, the player that you wanted to keep, you're going to get rid of Evan Longoria, you know, where you think maybe he might be at his peak of his career and then go to the third basement, you got chilling in the in the minors and bring him up, well, and all of a sudden you you got 7 million dollars a year to play with, right? Okay, well, just pick up a couple more guys at, at 85, 90,000 dollars a year and put them in your system to to do more to build the the next the next group up right and then use your control to get them at the right price and then move along from them and keep them young because that's where the game's going right you can you can rely on analytics as much as you want but i mean it's basically the tennis model i mean the younger you are the better you're going to be at the sport we're just not going to have 42 year old guys like nelson cruz running around for much longer you're 33 you're going to be out of the league yeah you're going to be different right so um, so I think, well, yeah. I think that's what, that's what it is, is that the system where we have no gripes with the system, you're innovating and you have yep. to be given a, a mountain of credit for that. I yep. think, I think what I'm coming to like realize as, as the, the number of teams with raised front office staff continues to grow and yet the team still operates when you have a, um, when you have a common thread, you have a similar operating procedure. 
you know, it, it is, it's like a team philosophy. When your entire, when all of Major League Baseball operates on the same philosophy, who do you think benefits from that? No one benefits from that except owners. And I think that's that's my concern is that now I'm starting to it start it's like you're waking up from a fever dream and you're like wait a second this guy's from the race 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 and they're all trying to do they're all conditioned by necessity like you said Max they're conditioned by necessity to do the same thing and fr- again Friedman being the exception than the rule if you go to hire if you're an owner and you go to hire a general manager and they say, I can build you a team for half the payroll, and I came from the organization that specializes in that. Why wouldn't you do it? Wh- why wouldn't you do that? And if that becomes the pervasive, overarching uh, you know, sort of narrative, if that becomes the overarching trade in GMs, don't be surprised if we end up with this, if we're talking about 30-year-old free agents that don't get offered contracts. Yep. So I, I think you're I think you're right. But it transitions really well into the next topic because yes. a certain free agent a couple free agents actually really represent that issue. They Top do end guys really represent that issue. And, and we're gonna and, and instead of transitioning the next one we go all the way back to the very beginning when Max was talking about his takeaways from twenty twenty one. Otani made three million dollars last year. He's terrible for baseball. <laughs> we'll be we'll be right back. <laughs> we're back and uh so we look guys we've said this before there's people a lot smarter than us talking about free agents and making predictions and things like that we're thinking about it from a player to team relationship i want to flip it around a little bit let's talk about teams that are poised to be active in the um in the postseason excuse me in the in the season coming up and one thing that I want to – so I, what we're going to do is we're going to go around, we're going to pick a team that just talks about, hey, you know, we think this team could be um, could be a, a, a mover and shaker, if you will, going forward. And, uh, Max, I want to start with you. Um, you know, and I'm not – you know, it's easy to talk about Correa and Seager and guys like that. They will be talked to death. I want to know about somebody you think is going to, um, you know, a team that's going to make some uh, smart, savvy, interesting type of signings this season. You know, I I think they, a team that's going to spend and then a team that's going to make some smart, uh, savvy decisions. One team that I think is going to spend is Detroit. I don't, the reports I'm hearing are already disappointing me in the sense of they won't go after Carlos Correa, which I think is, a huge wasted opportunity. I think, you know, he's perfect for that team, uh, which, you know, maybe that reflects that Carlos Correa's market is dwindling and that's not good. Um, But another team I think that might be kind of active is uh, Seattle. I think Seattle is going to be active. And as I said, they're like, they're young and they're good. You know, somebody like Chris Taylor or Marcus Simeon, right? If they get those two guys, all of a sudden that team's outlook, dramatically changes because if Correa walks somewhere else, you have to figure the Astros will take a step back. I know, you know, there's like, well, they have Verlander next year. Yeah. Okay. A 39 year old coming off Tommy John surgery. Are you really going <laughs> to yeah. count on that for more than a hundred innings? Like 
good luck. Um, Is that the hill you're going to die on? But, you know, the A's are going to sell, which, again, conversation that sort of relates to what we were talking about. Not a good thing that they're going to sell. You know, Matt Olson's already been talked about a few times recently in the past few days. It sounds like maybe he gets dealt before the CBA deadline comes up. And, you know, the other team in that division that might actually, like, make a move is Texas. And they're not going to make any substantial move enough to put them in contention for the division, right? Like, right. They're, they're not that good. Um, so, like, that kind of leaves this window for Seattle to come out and they can sign a Marcus Stroman, a Marcus Simeon, and a uh, Chris Taylor or a Mark Canna, right? All of a sudden, you sign, like, those four guys. That team looks like the favorite in the AL West, right? I agree with and that. They could be really, really good. And, like, they could line up and sign all four of those guys. Like, it would not shock me. And that, like, they need starting pitching. Right, they decline uh, either Kikuchi declined or they declined the option on you say Kikuchi's contract. That was a little surprising. Surprise. Um, I mean, I yeah, surprise. I I think that's a candidate to he might go back to Japan. I think I think that's a guy who it does sound like there is some couldn't interesting really going uh, back. yeah he couldn't he just couldn't put all those pieces together. No, he did for the first half of the year and then it just kind of fell off in the second half. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they need rotation help. Their infield defense is really good. Marcus Stroman makes a lot of sense there. I know Anaheim is probably the favorite for Marcus Stroman. That makes sense. They should be the favorite for any free agent pitcher. Um, <laughs> I'm scared so, for what happens to Stroman if he goes to LA though. It's, it would be scary. Um, but like it does, the fit there makes a lot of sense. They have good infield defense. He induces a lot of ground balls and he is a reliable and durable arm right like Mm -hmm. dude doesn't get doesn't have a lot of arm injury uh history right he throws somewhere between 150 to 200 innings almost every single year and he's gonna give you a sub four sub around a 3.5 to three era just depends on how good your defense is and seattle's is looking you know pretty good right like they have a pretty good defense it makes a lot of sense marcus simi you put him over there at second base the defense gets even better right you sign Chris Taylor, you put him anywhere you need him to go. Again, that team could be really good, and I hope they spend. It looks like they're going to spend, right? They have been talking to free agents reportedly, you know, fairly consistently. It's hard to, right now with the CBA and everything like that, you know, we're eight, nine days away from the deadline. It's really hard to get a gauge on what the market is. And like, we know starting pitching is moving fairly fast, right? Right. Like beyond that, it's, it's pretty rough. And like, you know, again, Stroman looks pretty eager to just wait it out, which again, I believe the CBA is going, we're going to reach a deal before we lose any games or anything like that. So there's really no reason not to wait just because there's a small chance that it could affect your contract and the size and everything. So why not try and like, just wait it out just to see if it does. Right. Um, I I think Seattle is like a team that is going to go for it and could be really good. Detroit is a team that's clearly aggressive on the market, but not in the way that I, I am, it's not looking in the way that I am hoping. Understand. Yeah. Okay. I could see Detroit more as a, yeah, I'm budget, I'm budget buying, right? Which, I'm Eduardo a, Rodriguez was a great signing. Oh, no. Like, I that love was that a great signing. move. You know, I agree. Like, I agree. People, people are like, that much money for Eduardo Rodriguez? Eduardo Rodriguez, I know, the ERA, I know the ERA doesn't reflect it, but Boston's infield defense was bad last year. Like, it's worse than the league last year year so you put him on a team like the tigers and they sign a great defensive shortstop sign carlos correa uh and all of a sudden why Rodriguez is really good like yeah really really good so that was a great sign yeah i mean 
I, I like the signing. I think Eduardo Rodriguez, if he can get away from Fenways and, and is all, already in a better Much position, better. right? Yeah. So uh, if Detroit's willing to try to make the, you know, continue off what they're doing this at the end of this past season and, and move forward in the off season to make 2022 look better. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is the right move. Right. So uh, I think he might be their most expensive move, which is probably, you know, that would maybe be not, disappointing though. Yeah. I mean, probably not what you, you want. might be right, but like, that would I, I think we can all agree that that would be a huge wasted opportunity if yeah. he was yeah. their biggest yeah. biggest yeah. total value contract. But I think at least Detroit can. I mean, they have the luxury of maybe looking a little more long term uh, versus like I have to strike next year. I built for you know they have some prospects who are very yeah. good and that are coming. So that makes sense. Like you know Ryan Creedler is a, really had a great year this year and he's a good infield prospect of like to the point of you can. If you are, for whatever reason, not willing to spend that much, you can argue that Creedler is your guy for the future, and it makes sense to try and see what he can do. And, like, baseball-wise, sure, that makes sense. It'd be disappointing, but it still makes sense. Right, right. Exactly. So I, I, uh, I'm with Max, right? I really felt like the Mariners were somebody that I was thinking about is for this for this part of the part of the podcast right i mean i'm as far as going that if they weren't going to go down that road of working on on the on the field side of things uh, more towards the pitching side of things i just they can't go into this season with margo gonzalez as their number one right it's just he's not a number one pitcher he's a three there at best right i mean so is chris flexen right yeah. flexen right so you just can't go that route and and for me i just don't know how they patch it together there if they're if they're looking long-term, then, you know, what are they going to go out and find out on the market? I'm curious on what they do with that pitching staff. The starting yeah. pitching, the, the starting pitching market is like kind of rough, right? You know, mm. Robbie Ray, who won Cy Young, and I'm fine with that. I, I thought he deserved it. Um, yeah. But like, you know, a lot of things point to he probably won't be as good next year, right? And again, that's fair. Like he had a sub three ERA and he gives up a lot of home runs. Like there's, there's certainly some suspicion of, how good is he really right yeah yep. like and that's fair and then you know noah Syndergaard just signed with the angels he's a huge question mark justin verlander just signed with the astros he's a huge question mark the best you know the the best pitcher on the market is going to command a lot of money and is most likely just going back to the dodgers and scherzer is like most likely not going to go to any of these teams that we're going to talk about but he might um so you know it just like that leaves Strowman, who is, in my opinion, a very good option. Like you, if you need reliable and durable innings, he is your best bet. Yep. You give him a five-year, a hundred plus million dollar contract. And again, I don't really know what he's going to get. It certainly, at first I thought that was a bit much, but now I'm like, nah, yeah, the way the starting pitching market's gone, he's probably going to get that. Um, like that's, it's hard to argue like that's, that's a bad move. You know what you're getting? Like you're getting $25 million worth of value pretty much every year right like that's and there's something to that right like how what deserves to get paid somebody who's just really reliable in marcus stroman or somebody who can give you some really big highs in robbie ray but some really low lows right yeah that's a hard conversation one that i think seattle is having but it's like i don't know how to answer that like that's it's a tough question so so to uh, i'm gonna go completely on the other side of the country here and I'm going to say the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be uh, – and here's why. Because, for example, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, 
again, are in a division. The Braves are not going to have Acuna to start the year. They're not going to have Soroka to start the year. The Mets, who the hell knows what the Mets the state of the Mets is going to be. So They're going to look so weird. They're going to look very weird. So the Phillies have got to say at some point, like, hey, we got to do this. And... There's an there's an opportunity for the Phillies, and I, I I have there's something just sitting in my drafts right now in my blog drafts. The Philly it's time for the Phillies to embrace the WWE style villain, and they need to sign, and the <laughs> Phillies are going to sign Carlos Correa, and they are going to be the most insufferable, really good team in baseball. I'm saying that the Phillies have to smell blood and they have to figure the the Braves are going to be without two of their best players to start the year. They're not going to, you know, you're not going to get Eddie. Sorry, guys, we're, we're not going to get Eddie Rosario and uh, Adam Duvall and all those guys to just magically recreate the postseason. It's just not going to happen. So the Phillies have to smell blood in the water and they have to figure this is the time, you know, stupid money. It's time to spend stupid money. So I see the Phillies as my team to start paying big dollars, get big names, and really embrace this, you know, bad boy, villain-style team that comes up to, and, and you know, that, that could be a, a real playoff contender, a pennant contender. I'm... I actually was thinking about it before I said Detroit and Mariners. I thought in my head, you know, the Phillies would actually be a really good choice here because they have the MVP. Bryce Harper is one of the best players in the sport. Like just hands down, no argument, no argument. And you know, when they gave Zach Wheeler that contract, I remember a lot of people were like that much money for Zach Wheeler. And I was like, I don't think you people realize that Zach Wheeler is like good. And like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and so then what does he do once he gets the contract? He absolutely shoves like one of the five best pitchers in the sport, right? So they have, and then then they have arguably the best catcher in baseball too in JT Realmuto. They have three core championship pieces, right? right? The problem is at shortstop, you have one of the worst defensive shortstops in baseball in Didi Gregorius right. who just forgot how to hit. On right? top of yeah. it. Just, just I know he had injury problems, but he just forgot how to hit. Um, well, the Phillies have been a, the Phillies have been a historically bad defensive team. Which they is, have, which is why you go for Correa over Seager. Let just buy out Correa. Let everyone else fight over Seager. Let everyone else try to give up the farm to get you know. Let them try to get Story. Go get Correa. Fix your defensive problem up the middle. It's just. And what's possible about Correa, too, is like that's a likely scenario just because if the reports are true. And I don't frankly believe the reports that the Yankees are like not really in on the top free. free. No. They weren't in on Garrett Cole, then they signed him, right? right. Like, yeah. Who, what are we talking about here? Like, listen, if Correa isn't going to go to Detroit, which I think is a mistake, and if the Yankees really are not that interested, if you're Philly, you have to, right? Like, there, the market isn't there. You can all of a sudden offer him a nine-year, two hundred and ninety million dollar contract, and that might be the best offer he gets, right. right? Like that, that might be the offer he has to take. Um, and that just it just makes too much sense. And then, again, as you said, it's really not hard to upgrade his shorts out there. Like yeah. it was, it was pretty abysmal for Didi Gregorius yes. last yes. year. Um, and then in the outfield, like, okay, I love Andrew McCutcheon, but. He's not, he's, the, same not, he's not the same guy. He's not the same guy. 
he's not he's not an outfielder anymore. They have a need in center field. You know, a, a guy like Chris Taylor again, as I said, I, I clearly I really like Chris Taylor. There's there's a lot yeah. of really like he can play all over the place. Uh, but you know, he's available if Byron Buxton is seriously available on the market. I think that's a trade you have to explore. Yeah, I know that there are a lot of injury concerns with him, and I get it. But even when he played last year, he played in like 80 games and was worth like four and a half wins. Dude is clearly electric. Like he's yep. just super good. Problem is you only have him for a hundred games at most a year. Yes. Um, so, you know, you have to wrestle with that fact, but I agree. I think the Phillies have this real big opportunity to be, as you said, the villains of the league, right? Like team, a, a team that has Bryce Harper and Carlos Correa on it. Are you kidding me? People would hate them. <laughs> yeah. Would yeah. hate but yeah. why people dislike Bryce Harper, I actually really don't know. Like he seems like a nice guy. He I remember there was that interview he did with ESPN that was like five years ago. He was like, I want to bring emotion to baseball. And people hated that interview. But you look back on it and you're like, man, Harper was really bad. He was right. Time. And now you look at him and he's like, Man, he really calmed down. And you kind of think to yourself, that kind of sucks. Yeah, that he yeah. calmed down so much. Well, he doesn't, right? you know, to be fair, I agree with you. And I think part of that is when he went to Philly and they didn't, they just, they weren't winning. Real Muto's not the guy to back you up. He needs a, a on a base. He needs team, a fiery he, dude. He needs a, a someone to a co-protagonist. He needs someone to help push buttons. And when you're not winning, you need multiple people and they're not winning. And Correa is the perfect guy he comes to the team and you know you Bryce Harper is going to they're going to back each other up you put Stroman on the mound and I'm telling you imagine running a top th- a, th- a three out of um Wheeler Nola Stroman and then that's, that's I mean deadly. if Nola's if Nola's yeah. right but like he should be okay he should be fine no. but I guess what I'm saying is like you you are is a lot of teams to go from that disparity of like mediocrity to contention, you need four or five free agents, a trade or two. These guys are one starter, They're really one close. shortstop away, and then you and probably some bullpen pieces. Yeah, yeah, some bullpen pieces. But I mean, like, really, I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> some bullpen. Yeah. Let's not underestimate some some bullpen pieces. Which there's a lot of bullpen credit, pieces. They're they're reportedly team. very in on. Like I I yeah. read the other day that they're going to be a major player for uh, Raziel Iglesias. And by the way, if you don't know who like don't know his numbers off the top of your head, do yourself a favor, go to his Fangraphs page yeah. and just be amazed Pretty about good. how good Iglesias is. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's eye-opening you're like this guy isn't the best reliever in baseball and like okay yeah josh Hader exists but like <laughs> iglesias is really damn close yep. right yeah and, and they can afford it right i mean the exactly. phillies aren't the phillies aren't broke they have historically right? spent a lot like yep. they have historically given out big contracts they have extor- historically spent a lot of money on their payroll that's and with dombrowski there you know they're not afraid to do that yep. right right feels like they've missed the op they'll, they'll get the one big piece right so in going into the 2019 season they got the one big piece in harper right yep and then in the, and then going into the 2020 season it was they got yeah, the big piece in real mudo and wheeler right but then they don't do anything beyond that is the problem yep. it feels like they just sort of say okay now let's go dumpster diving and fill out the rest of the team like gene segura was a good pickup he's actually played really well for them i think he might almost did be the point that like Again, if you're not speaking of Iglesias, look up Gene Segura's numbers, and they're actually like pretty good, like very presentable. Yeah, good player for them. 
But beyond that, Hoskins is abysmal at first base. I love Hoskins. He's a very fun, weird, quirky hitter in the way Yasmani Grandal is a weird, fun, quirky hitter, right? Um, but he's he's pretty bad at first base. Um, Alec Bohm was an absolute disaster at yep. third, and his backup, Scott Kingery, was arguably even worse. <laughs> so they clearly, like, Kyle Seager, again, third base is not really a position of strength right. in this market, which uh, hurts. You know, you could sign a Simeon, right, to try and, like, have him play third base. You probably Maybe, could do yeah. it. But, like, that's that's a little rough, right? You know, you, you don't want to be doing that. Well, just, you know, pay the pay the disc. Nobody wants to pay Seager because he's old, you know? Yeah, so, like, people, you know. It's not, even that, it's not even that Kyle Seager's old. They're just, like, he had under 300 on base percentage last year. And so people look at that and go, I don't really want anything to do with that. Okay, I get that. Like, but, again, at the same time, you give him a one-year $15 million contract, are you really going to be hurting from it? Right, like, there's no you such could, thing as a bad one-year deal per se, right? You're like, gonna get good defense. You're gonna get a pop with it, right? I mean, yeah, really, like that's that's think of all the, well in the Phillies case. Think of all the you, you almost have to think in terms of if you get a league average, a slightly below league average bat, and a slightly above league average glove at an infield position on the left side. Think that's of, good. Think well. Think of how many runs you're no longer. If you're the Phillies, you're no longer thinking of how many runs did we lose in the batter's box. How many runs did we cost ourselves in the field? Like that's how bad the Phillies' defense was, in particular on that left side with Bohm and Kingery and De Gregorius. Yep. I mean, you have to shift your mindset there, and so so anyway, you put a positive, a positive, net positive at short. You put a net neutral. At third, I'm, I'm telling you this. This team is different, and it and they went. Uh, if they ran a league average defender out to third base with a league average bat, if they ran out a league average defender with a slightly below league average bat at short, they win, yep. might win the NL East. Yeah, uh, it's it's open for him. And I mean, you got Wheeler, right? There's only two pitchers that have thrown more innings over the last four years than Wheeler. And one of them's already on your team. It's Nola. I mean, it's, it's isn't, I mean. Is that an indictment on the Phillies? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, a little bit, right? But I mean, Wheeler's only been there for a year, so it's not a complete indictment. But, you know, if you throw a bullpen together with that much longevity already in your starting rotation, make the small upgrades if you have to at third and short. You don't have to go for Correa. Just need to upgrade from Didi Gregorius and his 71 or whatever he had for an e uh, OPS plus last year, right? Right. You're not – and just better defense or something. Just get an upgrade somewhere at that position. It's, doesn't have to be on the offensive side. At least make it on the defensive side or get a little bit of both. It isn't that hard. This team is in the right division. They've got a lot of pieces in place that they need. I don't think it takes five pieces to make this team there. I think that the, the Marlins aren't there yet. The yeah. Nationals are are gone, right? I mean, what, is Strasburg going to come back and, and carry him? No, it ain't going to happen. They're going to sell him. Strasburg right? can't carry his own shoulder to the bullpen. Right, exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, it's everything's there. The Phillies were on my list next to the Tigers when we started yeah. this of, of teams that I felt like had a good chance to say, you know what, I'm in a good position to strike now and, and make a move, and, and why not, right? So, right. Correa yeah. just – first of all, let me say this. If you're still hooked up on the 2017 Astros thing, my advice to you is just move on. Yeah. Like, there's nothing we yep. can do about it anymore. <laughs> 
Correa is is one of the best leaders in the sport. He he really like the way he motivates his teammates teammates in Houston. It's really a sight to behold. And I, I I say this because I think the team that signs him is going to be the Yankees. I, I I just it feels it feels so wrong. It's right, you know. Like he's perfect to fit into the evil empire mindset that they have, sure. and that's because he is not afraid to get into your face and challenge you to be better. He will get in your face and say, we need more out of you right now. He does it all the time. And look at the way his teammates respond to him. They love him and they will go to war for him and appreciate everything he does. And listen, I know that some people feel they get rubbed the wrong way about the way he talks about the situation and everything and the way he like is unabashedly himself right but also when you're the best shortstop in baseball you can do those things you well, can it, back up the talk it was needed too you know it was baseball needed. Like, needed him like what did they what did the imagine how different it would be if the astros just put their heads between their and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole but like if they if they just put their tail between their legs and just, you know, did like, well, kind of like what Bregman did, kind of like what Altuve did. And, and, you know, I only say that indirectly about Altuve because I know it was kind of shady as to his actual involvement. But when you imagine if that happened, we this whole thing would have just died and it would have just been a big old dis would have been nothing. It would have been nothing. Yeah. But now, see, now what what we well, still talk about it. Well, that's but did you see, that's what, you know, I grew up with the 90s you know, WWF. Yeah. Like, yeah. like we grew up with, but it, even I grew up with the nineties WWF too, where the villains were in, were like awful and terrible, but they were also engaging and they were respectably good at what they did. And because, so there was like 90, what makes a good wrestling villain is night. And I don't watch wrestling anymore, but when it, when it did 98% of you rooted against them. And two percent needed that you knew they needed to win because you didn't want him to leave. That's Carlos Correa. Ninety-eight percent of you roots against him, but there's always two percent of you that roots for him because if he leaves, the sport is universally worse off. He is perfect for baseball because baseball lacks emotion, right? As we were just talking about with Bryce Harper, right? It just it was sort of sad to see him sort of mellow out and everything like that. Correa, no matter where he goes, that's not going to happen. Like, that's just not who he is. That's not in his system. And that's perfect. Yep. That whether it be in New York, whether it be in Detroit, whether it be in Philadelphia, whether it be in Boston or something, right? Wherever he goes, that's just who he is. And he's going to bring that. And I promise you, if you're a fan of any team listening, it'll help. He yeah. will help your team not only on the field, he will help it off the field because yep. he's going to be in your face holding your players accountable. I know Jim can vouch for this, but Yankee fans talk all the time and they're like, oh, there's no accountability for the players. Hogwash, by the way. Yep. Complete another nonsense. You won't feel that with Correa on your team nope. because he's going to publicly get on them. Remember when Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. were like screaming at each other in the dugout? And I legitimately said, this is good for the sport. It's good for the sport to see that these guys get so animated, to see that they care. They care. Right? You hate right. I hate when fans say that yep. the players don't care. They do care. They care a lot. Most and of so them. sometimes it's good to have those public meltdowns because then it shows that you're, all your critics that 
you give more of a damn about it than they do. Right. Like I, that's what I tell our pitchers all the time. I said, you know, when you're, when your teammate makes an error in the field, trust me, nobody feels worse about it than the guy who made the mistake. And then me, cause that means it cost us a run or yeah. something. Right. Yeah. I was like, so you can rely on me to be mad, but it's true when, you know, Bryce Harper in that last series of the year, he went like, Oh, for 12 in those three games. Right. Oh, for 11 I with prom- five strikeouts. <laughs> yeah. I promise you nobody feels worse about it than Bryce Harper does yeah. because even though he carried that team on his back through the entire second half. And if you haven't read Jason Stark's athletic article, sort of going over the MVP race, it's he had a 1.1 OPS in the second half. The rest of the team combined for like a 612 OPS. And yet in the final season series of the year, he still had a chance to put his team into the postseason, and he didn't come through. And that's not his fault. Just bad streaks happen all the time. But you could tell that it really bothered him. Like, it really dramatically affected him. And it's good to see that because then you know they care. Not that they don't if you don't see it. But I think that's ridiculous that people assume that they don't. But it's good. And with Correa and with Stroman and with uh, Harper, you know that because they show it. They right. show it to you, right? Even, you know, Rio Nudo is, like, just so even-killed. But that one of the best clips ever is they're bringing, I think it was Jared Hughes who's coming out of, <laughs> yeah. out of the bullpen. And you just see JT Rizmuto's like look of exhaustion. But like, that stuff is good. Like it's 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 good for the sport to for the fans to see that. Like, man, this game's hard. That's very yeah. Jim, Jim, very hard. Jim, you want to get the last word in? I got since you guys took all of the stuff that I wanted to go on, right? Like Detroit, Seattle. I mean, even I had Phillies in my notes, right? So I, I'm down to just a few notes that I really wanted to get across. I think the Cardinals are next on my list. They're set. They're ready. Their offense is in the position that they need to be. Obviously, their defense is in the position that they need to be because I think they won me a championship in some preseason thing we did yeah. this past year, right? Yeah, they helped me along with that. They're set there. Really, what they need is just to go at it, right? They're in the right division. Milwaukee, you know, just like we're talking with everybody else. Milwaukee's the only team that's really competing in that division. Cincinnati's taking a step back in my eyes. I don't feel like the Cubs are there and uh and the pirates are the pirates right they're years so, away yeah. right exactly so the carl the the quintana sign isn't going to get them there um and, and so i believe that they're pitching they, they need they need starting pitching right so i say they go nuts they go get grinky back together with kershaw and they just have a good time with him wainwright and it's, it's the old folks club and they just kick butt for like a year or two and maybe take down a championship in there i think they're in that position. So I wanted Stroman to get... wins a Cy Young if he goes to St. Louis, by the way. If he goes, the dude's there, gonna right? have like a two ERA. Like if yeah. he goes to St. Louis, he's gonna win a Cy Young. It's gonna be crazy. It's a but great not position. Sign him, but like right? yeah. the Cardinals um, are a good choice too. I, I and then like I, I didn't get this part across because I know we weren't trying to get like players to teams, but I do feel like uh I feel like Paxton is gonna go to toronto the canadian guy is going to go play in toronto if he doesn't he's gonna he's he's a perfect candidate for detroit who's trying to you know fill in positions at the starting rotation at the right cost and at paxton on a on a good one or two year deal is he even eligible to pitch because he had tommy john right so he might be out for the whole year right yeah i think he's only supposed to be out for half a season that's my understanding so because he only got to pitch the like what two innings this past year i believe it was beginning of the year so talk about immense talent Mm -hmm. like byron buxton like byron buxton immense talent just can't stay healthy 
Just yep. can't. And it's sad because you really, he's a nice guy. You really do pull for those yeah, Canadians. He's Canadian. Just, oh, yeah, right? Kind exactly. Of, kind of in their Max, for thank sure. you so much for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate you having back. Yeah, having thanks, thanks for having me back. Congratulations again, Adam, on the new house and the Braves winning it all. I forgot to mention, Jim, another book. Congratulations <laughs> between you and Jeremy again. Like, appreciate it. Yeah, just keep coming out with all this stuff. It's just nice. Nice to catch up and everybody's doing well.